Welcome to the Mosaic Church Podcast, where we share with you the message of hope and love that lies at the core of the Christian faith. Our weekly sermons delve into the teachings of the Bible and how they can impact our daily lives, inspiring us to journey together towards a deeper understanding of God's infinite love. Join our community of believers as we embrace the power of faith and embark on a transformative spiritual journey. Mosaic Church in Mableton, Georgia exists to lead people to an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ to help them change the world. Now, please enjoy this message from Pastor Broderick Santiago, lead pastor of Mosaic Church. Our scripture, the main scripture that we'll be talking about today, you'll find it in your notes, is Matthew 28, uh, verses 19 through 20. Matthew 28, verses 19, 19 through 20, you find these words. Therefore, this is Jesus speaking, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let us pray over this word real fast. Eternal and gracious God in heaven, thank you for this opportunity to stand before your people as your ambassador. I pray, oh God, that I I represent you to the full today, Father God. I pray that you empty out from me everything that you've poured into me. I pray that I authentically represent your word today. I pray, O oh God, that we leave this place better than we came. If you would do me the honor, Father God, bless this place from center to circumference so that when we leave here, we can say we had a good time, not because worship was that great or because the pastor sermon was that wonderful, but because we truly had, it, had an encounter with you today. Oh God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. All those agreed said, amen. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. I want to focus on that word, go. As modern-day Christians, we've come complacent and comfortable going to church. And that becomes the sum-all-being of what it means to be a Christian. Today, I want to stretch you and push you and urge you to do more than just come to church on Sunday morning. Don't let your Christianese be summed up into one day of the week. I would offer that it would be impossible to truly make a disciple of anyone or even be discipled by showing up to church one day a week. Now, that doesn't mean try to find a place that has service seven days a week. No, no, it doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean make sure you find a Wednesday night Bible study. It doesn't mean that at all. It means be intentional about interacting with your brothers and sisters, Christian or not. It means intentionally sharing what you know, intentionally representing your Christ-likeness to all that you come into contact with. doesn't happen just on a Sunday morning. It happens outside of Sunday morning worship. Let me share with you what this Greek word go means. Let me share the Greek word go. I like to always give you all a little bit of Greek or Hebrew when I can. I'm telling you, by the end of the year, you will have a book full of Hebrew and Greek words that I've shared with you. And you can just start dropping them, like hypomene, 
you know, or this word that I've shared with you today, which is the word for go is paruo, paruo. I think that's in your notes. If I didn't put it in there, I apologize. But the word go is paruo. And it means this. To go is to pursue the journey on which one has entered. Let's stop right there. If you identify yourself as a Christian today, you are already on a journey. You started a journey when you said uh, the prayer and asking God into your heart and to your life. You immediately stepped your first toe, not even your first foot, your first toe crossed that line into this journey called Christianity. So if you identify yourself as a Christian today, you are already on the journey. Now, where you're at on the journey may differ from your neighbor, but you are on the journey. So when we look at this word, peruo, parau, or let me get it right, peruo, let me get it right. When we look at this word, it says to pursue the journey on which you have entered. We're pursuing the journey. We're not there yet. Even Paul said it before in the, in the scripture. He's not there yet, but he's in pursuit of the goal. Furthermore, it says to continue on one's journey. If we look at the word disciple in the Latin, uh, in, in, in its Latin context where it originally come from, discipulus, in the Latin word, the disciple word is discipulus. The meaning of disciple is simply one who studies and learns from someone else. Discipulus, disciple, in the Latin word, one who studies from someone else. What is that? A pupil, a student. We all are students of this great book full of great, not stories, but illustrations and a manuscript on how we should conduct our lives. We are students of the word of God as Christians. We are students particularly of the son of man, Jesus. He is our example that we should follow daily. We are students of the great Christ. Some great examples of discipleship I'll share with you all. If you get a chance, I highly uh, urge you to go back and read some Old Testament stuff and look at the model presented by Elisha and Elijah. How Elisha, their relationship, uh, it was one of discipleship, of one learning from the other. As a matter of fact, Elisha would even tell him, I want a double portion of what you have, Elijah. I want a double portion of what you have. What you have is so great. Give me a double portion of that. That's a great example of discipleship. Another one uh, we find with uh, two women, uh, Naomi and her mother-in-law, Ruth. She says to her, I want to go wherever you go. I know my husband is deceased and yours is, but I want to go wherever you go. I want to watch how you do what you do. I've already been watching you from afar, how I can be a great wife, but now I want to learn how I can be a great widow because now I too have lost my husband. Naomi and Ruth is a great example. Another one one of my favorites, and some of y'all might be familiar with this, is a New Testament example of a great man by the name of Paul and his spiritual son, a man by the name of Timothy. And if we watch their model and how Timothy was, was, was a church planner himself, but while Paul was uh, somewhere else doing his thing, he was constantly writing him letters of encouragement and, and giving him instructions on how to plant this church and giving him encouragement when, when his head was down and he felt like he wanted to possibly throw in a towel and he felt like you know what Paul they're just not getting it and Paul would just 
my dear son Timothy. Encourage him. Don't, you know, don't get beat up by this and that. Just continue in the race. Don't focus on who's getting it, who's not. Just continue the race. Great examples of what it means to disciple. And we're going to talk more about that relationship between Paul and his spiritual son, Timothy. There are two common misconceptions about discipleship. And, and I'll be the first to admit, I got caught up in one of them, right? Here's the first one if you're taking notes. Two common misconceptions about discipleship. Here's the first one. I am not ready to disciple anyone. That's me. That's how I felt. Early in my Christianese, when I, when I gave my life to Christ back in the year 2000, Oh, I am not ready to disciple anyone. They would talk about this and going out and evangelizing. And I was like, not me. I don't, but I don't know one scripture. All I knew is what I learned from when I wasn't a Christian. Like when I was a five percenter, I, you know, all the scriptures that I learned to trump Christians up, like, you know, calling them out on eating pork when they shouldn't be eating pork. So I knew Leviticus chapter 11, verses seven and eight, you know, you shouldn't eat pork. That was all I knew, you know? I, I, knew, I knew the 23rd Psalm because my grandmother made me memorize that, but I wasn't, that wasn't deep. I didn't understand it. It was just memory verse. But I never felt qualified when I was a new Christian to disciple anyone. And I'm here to offer to you all, that's a huge misconception. How many perfect people we have in here? Nobody, right? So that means you've gone through some stuff, right? Just day-to-day stuff. If you're married, you've, you've gone through some marital things, right? If you're a parent, you've, you've tripped your way through this process called parenting, right? You've kind of stumbled your way through, right? If you're employed, you know, you didn't get the job and you were like the expert the day one, right? You had to learn some systems and stuff, right? Huh? How many of you would call yourselves financial gurus? Like you got this money thing pegged. Who raised their hand? All right, whoever's sitting in that row move because lightning will hit. Don't want you to get hit when it hits that liar. I'm just playing with you. None of us are financial gurus, but you've learned throughout life how to manage your money better. Right? You've learned just enough to tell somebody not to do certain things, right? Hmm? You've learned some things in your marriage that, that when, when, when things weren't as great as they could be, when you had disagreements, you, you learned some things that, that kind of got you to the next level, Right? Huh? You learn some things in being single that, that, that when you were, you know, feeling like, oh, woe is me. I'm never going to find Mr. Right or Mrs. Hot stuff that you could share with somebody to encourage them, right? All I'm saying in essence is you all have been through some stuff enough to share your own personal stories with somebody that you may know or may not know, somebody close enough to share what you've gone through. I want to offer to you, brothers and sisters, that is Discipleship 101. Sharing what you already know with someone. Teaching them your ways. Well, I'm not a financial guru, but I know this. I did Dave Ramsey a couple years ago, and I'm telling you, if you do his little plan, I got the books. Uh, I can't put you in the class, but you can borrow my books. And when you're sharing that financial information with somebody, now let's, let, me, let me show you about this Dave Ramsey stuff because he actually uses biblical concepts and principles to manage your money. Oh, I'm sharing the Bible. Oh, I'm discipling somebody. Come on, y'all. Discipleship is not as deep as we think it is. 
And many of us have felt that same thing. Some people in this room right now feel they are not qualified or ready to disciple someone. And I want to tell you that's not true. If we look at just the people that Jesus selected to be his disciples, this is a great man. He's a rabbi. He's a teacher. He knows all of the Old Testament like nobody's business. He grew up in, in, the, in the synagogues and stuff. He was the man. He could have picked some of those scholars that he was in school and in session with. He could have went right to the temple and said, hey, you know what? You're deep. You are a master. You are a biblical scholar. Come walk with me. But no, he walked up to some funky catfish fishing dudes and was like, yo, drop your net and follow me. He went up to the most hated person in the land, a tax collector. You know, they separated tax collectors from sinners. There were sinners, then there were tax collectors. Like tax collectors had their own category. They were that despised and hated. And he like, give me one of them too to be in my posse. So I got about four people that stink because they're fishermen, right? They don't know anything biblical. They're not that deep. They don't memorize the Torah, you know. And then I'm going to get this most hated person. Those are just some of the job titles of the people that Jesus selected to hang out with. And dig this. Here's the best part about it. Here's the best part about it. He picks these people, uh, a a fisherman, a tax collector. I forgot to talk about the rebel rouser, the political zealot he had with him. He was setting himself up for some stuff. And then somewhere in there, somebody was like a thief. I don't think Jesus knew that at the time, or maybe he did. I don't know. But somebody's in there, thief, you know, they, they collected money, and this guy's got his hand in the cookie jar. Okay, y'all know what I'm talking. Read the Bible, read the Bible. It's in the New Testament. You'll find it there. He chose to hang out with these people and choose them as the world changers they will be. They didn't know they were going to be world changers. They had no clue. They just like, you know what? I like this dude. He can preach. He's deep. I like him. Cool, let me hang. I'm going to hang out with them. They drop their nets. And here's the part that I want you to get that's most perfect. You say you're not ready. Here's the part I want you to get. All of these people, different backgrounds, imperfect people, they were prone to mistakes. They were prone to faults. They were prone to misstatements and lapses in their faith. We read in the Bible where that was the case. There was a doubter among them, a couple. They were prone to all of this. But here's the best part. Jesus chose these remarkably unremarkable men to be world changers. He discipled them. And if we read further in the story, if we read, if we continue to read more in this New Testament story, we see that they eventually did what? Disciple others. They didn't stop at what Jesus taught them. And they died. I mean, it took him having to come back. Not just come back and say, hey, what's up? Listen. It's real. I'm resurrected. Now I'm going back up there. No, he came back and hung out with them some more for an extended period of time. Still teaching them. Because he's like, hey, y'all still don't get it. This is real. Hung out with them for another extended period of time, then ascended. Came back, hung out, chilled with them, discipled them some more. Then finally, Peter steps up and does a sermon. That just blew the socks off, if they were wearing socks at the time, blew the sandals off of the people that were there. He spoke so deep, and they were like, whoa, where did this dude come from? This dude has a word. He preached so well. All these people gave their lives to Christ. Let me tell you something. 
Discipling is, of course, built around God's word, but it's not that deep. It's your experiences in life with those people that are close to you and using biblical principles to share how you found your way out of some of life's crazy mazes. It's using biblical principles in your day. It's doing, basically, let me just sum it up this way. It's doing life with people, but using biblical principles to navigate it. Discipleship is doing life with people, but using biblical principles to navigate it. I speak with married couples all the time. They look at me and my wife. Oh, man, y'all have a perfect marriage. I says, you only see what I post on Facebook. I says, you don't see the behind the scenes stuff. You know, sometimes we don't like each other. Sometimes it takes us a couple of hours to kind of recover from disagreements. But let me show you some biblical principles we use to stay in love, to stay happy, to raise our family together. Because I'll tell you what, it's not just me doing this. It's not just Erica. No, we go to the Word. What does the Word say? What are some biblical examples of, of how we can persevere and push through some stuff? So those who look and say, oh, man, y'all got a perfect marriage, there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. There are two imperfect people that work together in an imperfect marriage to bring glory to God. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage. That's, that's, I hate when people say that, oh, I want the perfect marriage. Then keep on looking because you're going to be single. You're going to be on your deathbed. I want a perfect marriage. It ain't going to happen. Two imperfect people brought together to do something. So here's the thing. You don't have to have a perfect marriage. You don't have to be a relationship professional. You don't have to be a finance guru. You don't have to have the parent of the year award hanging up in your office. No, all you have to do is make yourself available, share your stories through biblical principle with those closest to you to be a disciple, to be a disciple maker. The second misconception I want to share with you is that, and many, oh my goodness, I have more conversation with people about this one than any. I don't need someone to, di- to disciple me. I don't need someone to disciple me. I know it all. I don't need nobody to teach me nothing. I'm the man or the woman. I got it going on. What can you teach me that I don't already know? First thing I want to say is if that is you, I hope I don't offend you, but you are absolutely missing it. And you're a fool to think that you don't need someone to disciple you. Just, just let's stop. Let's go, let's go surface level here. There is somebody in whatever field you are in today that knows just a little bit more than you do. And chances are you want to be where they want to be. You need them. That's discipleship. Huh? There's somebody that perhaps you don't have children right now, but you want to have children one day. I don't need nobody to disciple me. You're going to need some parents that's around you when you up at 4 o'clock in the morning and that baby won't stop crying and you don't know what the heck to do. You need some people in your life to disciple you. Oh, if you're not married yet, you're going to need some married folk in your life when you like, is it like this all the time? Do they always leave their funky shoes and socks like in the middle of the floor? Do all men do that? And then you're going to have some wives say, yup. You need people that are already higher above where you're at. Everyone needs to be discipled. I'll just share some of my story. I mean, there's so many, but many of you know that I do I wear several hats, not just in church, but outside of church. I, I'm a professional musician. 
Uh, I'm a professional real estate agent. Uh, I'm a pastor, uh, businessman. I mean, you just add it up. I just do a bunch of stuff. But that's when I offer this. My first passion was music. Ten years old, heard the drum, local community center. Oh, it just sounds good. I just want to play it. And so I just would go up there whenever I could and sit and ask to play, and they let me play. Eventually, I pull out the pots and pans. We were talking about it today, and I start banging on them. Then I step into buckets. Eventually, by the time I was about 13, 14, I got a drum. It took me a while. I had to prove that I wanted to do it because they bought guitars and they bought other instruments throughout the years, but it was the drum that I fell in love with. Well, when I realized that you could actually make money, I didn't know you could even do that as a musician. Well, I began to sit with those who would let me. I'll be the cat at the end of a show standing there waiting. Can I carry your bags? Can, can I carry your drum? Yeah, 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 yeah. Then I'd sit right there by the stage and watch, and they would see that. And many great musicians would just say, you know what, come, come on up here, man. And they would let me hit, and they saw that my posture was wrong. Then somebody would show me the bright posture, a guy by the name of Jerry Marrero, one of my mentors and long-life friends of mine. I love him. He's like an uncle. He used to pick me up. He had a Cadillac Seville. You remember the ones with the little slanted uh, trunk? I mean, he was, I mean, you know, Puerto Rican brother handsome. He had that Seville. He'd pick me up and let me ride around the city with him, and we'd be cruising. And then finally we'd get to a place, and he'd show me some stuff, and he'd show me techniques. And I was playing one way. He said, no, your, your posture's all wrong. You want to use this much in your hand. You want to hit it this way. To make slaps, you want to do that. He taught me all of that. Then eventually he had a gig, and he says, come to the gig. He let me get up on stage in front of an audience. Oh, I went nuts. I got behind there. He said, do a solo, and I just went crazy. I was all off. My tongue was all on my mouth. I went in. I went in like I knew what I was doing, and the whole band stopped like, whoa. And they stopped, not because I was that good, but I was that bad. They couldn't play with my timing. It was off. But it was after that that Jerry sat me down and showed me showmanship. Then after that, I really got hungry, and I moved on and started, you know, wherever I could go. I would travel places. You know, if I knew, like, some of the master drummers would be there, I would go there, spend money to go there and sit with them, discipling me. And the story goes on to to the point where I became... Uh, uh, a composer for uh, a song on an Emmy award-winning movie. I became composer for uh, songs on Broadway shows. I became composer. I I actually had the great honor and privilege of teaching uh, a cast of actors how to play percussion live on stage. That cast included Felicia Rashad. That's Claire Huxtable, for those who don't know. John Amos. uh, That's uh, the brother from Good Times, uh, for those who don't know. Several great actors teaching them percussion on stage. It's because somebody discipled me on this instrument called percussion. Now watch how I bring this to you further. And it was there that I realized that I could use this gift that God gave me to serve God. And I began to play at churches just because I wanted to do it. And I found, you know, and I gave my life to Christ at Turner Chapel AME in Marietta. The first thing I did was ask that I just form a drum circle. And the pastor says, yes, we'll let you start a ministry. I said, whoa, what is ministry? So now through the drum, I'm introduced to ministry. So I start an African dance and drum ministry, which is still going to date. 
right? So that's my first entry into ministry, not even realizing what it was. And so then after that, I became uh, known as a, the, the, the African drum guy over at Turner Chapel AME. So then I'm playing also with the worship band. So I go from playing with the worship band at Turner Chapel to playing with the worship band at New Birth Latino. I go from there to finding this wonderful church plant called Courageous Church, and I became the worship pastor there. Courageous Church shuts down, and God says, son, I need you to pastor a church. What started as my passion into percussion became actually a ministry to where I stand today as a pastor. It was a whole progress and process that God used to get me there, to where I'm at. So when God says, I need you to be a pastor, I says, what's the first thing I need to do? Find somebody who already is doing what you're doing, son. The same way I showed you how to do that with music, now you do that with ministry. And here we are. Here we are getting ready to celebrate our one-year anniversary. And in this time, we've fed several children in this community. In this time, we, we've partnered every week at the food pantry that feeds 25 families. Uh, in this time, we've, we've, we've had two baby dedications and at least three people baptized already in this time. Not even a year yet. Next, next month will be a year. We've done a lot, and it's because I was obedient to the call of God, and I saw someone that would disciple me I found myself a Paul discipleship we all need disciples that's just my story and I know some of you all have stories and some of you all are right now in front of an opportunity and you're saying man I don't even know how to, where the starting point is and I want to suggest this the starting point is finding somebody that's doing what you're doing already and asking to sit with them for just 30 minutes of their time even if it costs you a few bucks to do it you do it it'll pay off in the end find somebody who's doing exactly what you want to do right now and they're successful at it and sit with them and that's what i've done i've got several mentors as soon as i told them we were planning this church they man sat me down wouldn't let me pay for the coffee i was ready i scraped up all the pennies and coins i could find because i was broke during this transition you know and 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 i you know they wouldn't let me pay for the coffee or the dinner but they sat there and gave me something that was more valuable than anything they told me about how to be a leader, what it requires to be a pastor, and they talk with me every day. Just this, this, this morning, I got a text from one of them saying, I'm praying for some amazing things to happen at Mosaic Church today. Every Sunday morning, I get that from several pastors around America. Come on now. Find somebody to disciple you. It happens best here in our Mosaic Life Groups, which will start this fall. We'll have one from women, one for men, and one for married couples. Jump in. I promise you, jump in. Matter of fact, the most disciple people in this church are involved in one of those small groups. Our men's small group, oh my goodness, true discipleship. Our women's small group, these sisters get together. They're not just cooking. My wife got home at midnight the other night, somewhere about that, right? <laughs> because they were discipling one another. It was discipleship happening at this small group. Discipleship happens in a small, it starts there. It's a good starting point. It'll happen this fall at Mosaic Church with our life groups. Here's what I want you to do. Let's move on. We're going to wrap this up soon here. You can make disciples, and this is how you can make disciples if you're taking notes. The first step is by your example. You can make disciples by your example. By your example. Philippians 3.17 says this. And this is Paul speaking to the church of Philippi. He says, dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Woo! Pattern your life after mine 
and learn from those who follow our example. God bless you. He's telling them, look at the sacrifice I've made to share and spread the good news, right? Then he doesn't stop here. He says, but don't just look at my example. I'm an individual. So you can easily say, oh, that's easy for you, Paul. Don't just look at mine, but look at those who also get it and are doing it. Look at the church over here. Look at the church in, 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 in Corinth. Look at the church over in Ephesus. Look at the churches that we've already launched of believers, new believers, and see what they're doing. Don't just look at me because it's easy to say, Paul, look at what you're doing. Yeah, you can do that. No, no, no. Look at these people that were Gentiles, that were non-believers, that were not Christian. Some of them were Jewish converts. Look at them and me and now imitate that. Look at them and me now imitate that. He said, look at them and me. By your example is the first way you can make disciples. I love what it says and what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. You should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Can I talk about that word imitate? You know, Paul uses it. I didn't realize that until I began to read this thing about discipleship. Paul uses that word imitate a whole bunch in the New Testament. When he's talking to the church in Ephesus, when he's talking to the church in Philippi, when he's talking to the church in Corinth, he's telling them, he uses that word constantly, imitate me. In other words, do what I say. How many of y'all played Simon Says before, right? Okay, so it's almost like saying we're doing Simon Says, but here's the good news. Nobody gets out. Everybody just, if you do exactly what I do and how I do it in the manner in which I'm asking you to do it, we all win. But don't just take my word. Look at that church. They got it. Look at this church. Oh, baby, they got it. Look at that church. They got it. Guess what? I was a part of setting those churches up. And all I'm doing is it's, it's, it's not that deep. There's no manuscript that was created beyond the Bible and the example that Jesus set. All I'm doing is imitating what Jesus did. No, I'm not performing miracles. No, no, no. Y'all missing that. No, no, no. I'm not walking on water. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm just loving my neighbor. I'm sharing my witness. And I'm telling everybody about it. And the, thing, the great thing about it is what changed Paul was that, you know, here you have this religious scholar who was coming from a, a, a royal lineage, right? Deep brother. He's a Pharisee. He is deep and he's loaded. He's got money, right? And he's, on, and he's persecuting Christians when he was Saul. He's having people killed and taken out and whatever. And he's on Damascus roads and he has this, this experience that blinds him. And all of a sudden, God begins to speak to him. And he makes this transformation in his life. And it messed him up so much he had to share it. Even if that cost him his life with everybody. Now, now some of y'all's story is not as deep as Paul's. But you all have a story where God stepped in, changed your life. And the question I have for you is, how often are you sharing it? How important is it for you to share what God has done for you? I only stand here where I'm at now because I've shared my story. And I keep sharing it. You know? I wasn't a Christian. I didn't, believe, I didn't even know if I believed in God. I was a five percenter. I was a Muslim. 
I was, I was in a whole different, I was spiritual. I've gone through all of these different phases in my life. But it wasn't until I had a similar experience like Paul, except mine was with depression because my heart was broken. I wasn't coming out the house, staying in the house, living in my mother's house. You know you're depressed when you just walk away from a BMW in a nicely furnished crib up in New York. That was me. Left it. Dropped the keys off at my sister's house and said, I'm going to live with mom. Something wrong with that boy. Something is wrong with him. I know, that's what the whole family was saying. My grandmother's praying for me. Everybody's calling, trying to find me. I cut all my phones off. I had no form of communication. I just wanted to wallow in my sadness. For a year I went through this. Before I finally got up off my butt or my mother's couch and went to this church in Marietta, Georgia, Turner Chapel AME, Pastor Reverend, Mar- uh, Reverend uh, Marcus. And I attended that service, didn't want to go, reluctantly. And, and was bored, to be honest, because I was just all anti-church. Up until this man in his, his priestly robe, which I was all, why you got to wear the robes? This man gets up in his robe, worship band is going on, they're singing. And all of a sudden, I see him get from behind his chair, goes to the side, he grabs his white guitar, and it was just like on cue. He had a solo, and he... And I was like, whoa! I want to go to that church simply because the pastor in his robe just stands up in the middle of the service, gets his action, and he did like a prince lick. I mean, he was like killing it. He was like all the way back here. I was like, I love that. But I tell you what, that wasn't what made the decision. That was what caught my attention. And then he finally spoke. And all of a sudden, it seemed like everybody left the room. It was at least... 1,500 to 2,000 people there that day or more. And when he began to speak, it seemed like everybody left the room, and it was just me and him having a conversation. And it was just like every time he said something, it was like Broderick was tied to it. And I was like, why is this dude in my business? I don't even know him. I've never been here before, but why is he? And he did an altar call. Y'all know those altar calls. Everybody feels uncomfortable. You know you're the one who has the sin, who has the issue, and you know you need prayer, but you're like, I want nobody to know I got issues. That was me. Until it got to a point where I didn't even realize as I was at the front of the church, weeping uncontrollably in this man's arms. Then somebody handed me the mic, and it was over. I mean, I went in. I just started telling all my business People coming up to me after service, like, man, wow, you sound like you were getting ready to kill yourself, brother. You all right? But what I loved, and this is what changed everything for me, the people that were coming up to me were my age, and they were men. They weren't about, they were men my age, hungry and on fire for Christ. And I said, whoa. And I gave my life to Christ in that moment. I gave my life to Christ in that moment. Everything that I had studied had never given me the fulfillment spiritually that that moment has given me. And guess what? It was so doggone good, I'm still floating on it. I'm still high from it. It was so doggone good, I can't even come down from it. I try to come down from it. But it was such a wonderful spiritual experience that I'm still high from it. And can't nothing kill my high. 
Nothing, not the devil himself, can kill that high. And that's how it happened for me. That's how I was able today to share my witness, share my example. God was the furthest thing from my mind, and he turned me around. Same thing with Paul. He did not believe in Jesus. But then that Damascus Road situation happened, and he became on fire. The jails couldn't stop him. He was like, hey, we're going to put you in jail as long as I can write. We're going to kill you. That's all right. I'm going to come back in the spirit. Whatever you're going to do, it's not going to stop with me because it's not about me in the first place. It's not going to stop with me. So anyway, you can make disciples by your example. Goodness, look at what Paul did. John 13, 35 says this. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That's all Jesus did. He's loved people. If we look at the miracles he performed, he performed them because he loved people. If we look at the people he fed, he, he did it because he loved them. If we look at him even being mad that, that the people were selling these idols in the temple and he flipped the tables over. It's because he loves God that much. Don't be messing around with Dude, do you know who you did? Don't be selling these idols. What, what are you doing? Are you nuts? We look at all the things that Jesus did. It was all out of love. All out of love. And, 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 and we can best demonstrate that by how we love each other. How many of y'all, I'm going to be watching, see how many of y'all run out of here after service and not greet the person next to you. Say, how you doing? And I, you know what? I've been coming to this church this long. I don't know your name. What's your name? My name is such and such. Good thing is about 85% of y'all do that. I need about 15% more of y'all to do it so we can be a 100% church that really is a community. Final thing here. You can make disciples, one, by your example and with your words. And with your words. Deuteronomy 3.28 says this. Instead, commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him. For he will lead the people across the Jordan. He will give them all the land you now see before you as their possessions. He will give them all the land you see before you as their possession. Let me tell you a little bit about what's happening here, just so you can understand this scripture. Moses has already been told, see that land? I know you want it. You brought the people this far. High five, physical, spiritual dap, whatever. But you're not permitted to go over there. I got somebody else I want to send. And this is what I want you to do, Moses. I want you to disciple him. How? Encourage him. Strengthen him. He don't even know what he's about to face right now. But I want you, Moses, to disciple him. No, that word disciple is not in the scripture, but when we talk about it again, encouraging, that's the words we're talking about, encouraging him. And if you read further in the, in the Old Testament, this transition to get over there, it wasn't like Joshua was like, oh, cool, man, I'm glad you picked me. I'm <laughs> no, it took a lot of encouragement. It took a lot of strength. It took a lot of uh, uh, pushing for him to do what God had called me. It wasn't like, oh, yay, he picked me. Yay, my name got picked from the hat. No, it took a lot of encouragement. And that's what discipleship is, encouraging one another. Let's look at Matthew 16, 24. It says this, 
Jesus says to the disciples, if any of you want to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. In other words, if you really want to be a disciple of Christ, you really have to let go of everything that you believe in your own carnal mind, everything that you believe that you can do by yourself. I know you're smart. I know you hold multiple degrees. I know that you're the boss at your company. You've exceeded uh, all, all expectations and you've moved your way up the corporate ladder. But let's release all that you know. And let put, let's put more of that into what God knows and can do for you. Drop your own cross. Put down your own selfish ways and follow me. Whatever you think you know, no matter how wise or smart you are, put that down and trust it all to God. Entrust it all to God. And this is what Jesus is saying. If you want to be my followers, you got to do that. You got to do that. And we can read in, in, in the Old Testament, this is where the rich guy says, hey, you know, how, how can I follow you? And Jesus kind of puts him in his place. I felt kind of bad for the dude. You know, I felt really bad. You know, the guy's like, I want to I be a follower. How can I follow you? And Jesus is like, you know what? Sell all of your riches. Sell all of your riches. Imagine that. To be down with Jesus, I got to give up all. I mean, I work hard to get all this money. I work hard to have all of these cattle. I work hard to get out of this land. And you want me to just give it up so I can hang with you? And I don't even know what's going to happen in the end. I don't know how rewarding it's really going to be. I mean, I've heard stories. I've seen your miracles. But you want me to give all of that up and hang with you? Dude, you ain't even got the latest sandals on. Those are like two years ago. And you want me to hang? Jesus like, yeah. You want to be down with me? Do that. And the reason I want you to do that is because you believe more in what you already possess than what I can give you. You believe in, the, in your own self-worth. You believe in your own self-stuff more than you believe in what I can do. Yeah, you saw my miracles. You've heard of the great things I've done, but it's not enough for you. Sell all your stuff. Then come hang with me. And that's what Jesus is telling us. If we want to be his disciples, we got to get outside of ourselves. We got to get a little bit uncomfortable and begin to tell our business a little bit and offer wisdom and advice to others. Hang out with people that don't look like you, act like you, smell like you. Hang out with other people. Be intentional about it. How many of us really do that? How many of us really are intentional about that? Sit at the, the, the other lunch table. I know you got your favorite spot in the break room. Sit on the other side next week. I dare you. Or if you're a student, you got your favorite little spot where you like to study, sit somewhere else. Sit with the, the unpopular people or the people that where, where, where else no, where, you know, other people don't go. Do that. Do that. Hmm? Do that. Step outside of this, the area you live in and go hang out somewhere else. To, 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 to turn away means simply to repent. To turn away it simply means repent. Becoming a follower of Christ means turning away from our own self-centeredness and our own self-control and turning our life over to Christ's control and direction. Matthew 4.19, and this is the foundation for what Jesus wanted us to do. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish 
for people. This is the foundation of what he wanted us to do. When he found the followers, when he found those, his disciples, and he selected, who were very good fishermen, he tells them, drop your nets, come follow me, and I'm going to show you how to be fishers of men. And for three years, that's what he did. He showed them how to be fishers of men for three years. He didn't show them how to perform miracles. He didn't show them how to memorize scripture. He didn't show them how to do all of this other stuff. If we look at it, it's like the Mr. Miyagi thing, right? He took Daniel's son, and I'm closing here. He took Daniel's son. He says, Daniel's son, wash the car. And so Daniel's son washed the car. He says, no, no, no. Wash it like this. Wash it like that. Daniel's son, paint the fence. And Daniel's son paints the fence. He says, no, 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 not like that. Easy stroke, easy stroke, easy stroke. Wax on, wax off. He teaches them all of this stuff. And Daniel's son is like, dude, why am I hanging out with you? I, you know what? You just got me slaving for you. That's all you want. You want me to, you old man, you just want me to clean up and, and do your stuff. And he says, no, Daniel's son. He says, when I was showing you that, I was showing you wax on, wax off, and you're showing them how to block the, block the hits. He says, when I was showing you, you, showing you how to do this, and show you how to, I'm showing you the moves in there. He's like, oh, I get it. And this was Jesus when he says, you fishermen, drop your nets. Come follow me. I'm going to show you how to fish for men. I'm going to do all of these great miracles. I'm going to do all of this. And y'all think I'm just performing miracles. But no, what I'm teaching you ultimately, in essence, is love. That's it. No great secret. All I'm teaching you how to do is put your selfish stuff aside and love others. That is the message. So everything you see me do, I don't care if you don't walk on water. I could give a flip about that. Everything you see me do is out of love, just love. He came back and even said it, love. That was his message, love. And the same way I love people, I want you to do the same as my disciples. No condemnation. They don't have to earn it. They don't have to do anything special to earn your love. You just have to do it. Why? Because I said so. And that's it. Love. And if you're not making a disciple today, you can bring that. If you're not making a disciple today, you can bring that. Then I urge you and challenge you today to honor God in the discipleship process. Honor him by simply showing others by your example and your words how to be a disciple. Let us pray. God, stir us as a church, as a people, oh God to be faithful to you in this calling to be disciples. Send us Pauls that would mentor and disciple us. But also, God, send us Timothys that we can disciple. God bless us indeed. We don't know all the answers, but what an awesome privilege it is to have a God like you who can answer all of our prayers. Not according to what we know, but according to all that you know. 
Thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that Pastor B said something that moves you closer to Jesus. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, we would like to invite you to follow us on social media at Mosaic Mableton and visit us on our website at wearemosaicchurch.org. You can learn more information about our church, ways to support our ministry through financial donations, stay updated on upcoming events, and find resources to support your spiritual journey. We would be delighted to welcome you in person on Sunday mornings to worship and connect with others. Our doors are always open to those seeking a place to grow and explore their faith. Thanks for tuning in and may God bless you on your spiritual journey.